Investing Compass is brought to you by Morningstar Australia. We'll run through the fundamentals of investing, take a deep dive of concepts and offer practical explanations, tools and resources that will allow you to invest confidently. The information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. So Shani, we're back. I know I know people that listen to podcasts probably don't know any of this, but we took a little bit of a break. I like to think that they listen to them as soon as they go out. Yeah, but we staggered when they went out, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit different, but a couple things happened. You went on leave for a couple days. I did. I went up to Kilcare. Yeah. We had our conference. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite part of our conference? Um, it was definitely the speech that you gave at the end, Mark. The end of what? The conference. Okay. Um, I don't even remember what I said, but uh, I was just looking forward to beers after the conference, but that's great. And then I... I hear the excitement in your voice, I think. That it was over. Yeah. 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 That's me. And then I went on leave. You did. But now we're back. I went to Lord Howe Island and I saw a turtle. So that was exciting. Did you name it? I did not name it. I did not name it. Do we call you Turtle Boy now? Like you call me... They do, they don't call me Turtle <laughs> Turtle Boy, but you are Empathy Girl now, but... Anyway, let's Your get mom started. Sent me a message calling me empathy girl. I know it's bizarre that you communicate with my mother, but <laughs> anyway, we're going to get started because nobody cares about you talking to my mother. <laughs> Not even my mother cares about that. But anyway, we're going to talk about the value of financial advice today, which is a little bit of a different topic, and we're going to take a little bit of a different take on it. So, around the world, and certainly here in Australia, people turn to financial advisors for guidance as they're trying to achieve their goals. And I think like any profession, there are good financial advisors and there are bad financial advisors. And we're not really here to weigh the merits of individual advisors, obviously. Uh, What we really believe here at Morningstar, and I think what you and I personally believe, is there are good ways of providing financial advice and not so good ways. So we want to talk about those specific viewpoints on how financial advice should be delivered. That's right, Mark. And I think it's really important to say that the focus today is not on financial advisors, um, but like everything we do, the focus is on how investors can achieve the best outcomes, whether you decide to use a financial advisor or not. This episode is for people who have a financial advisor, who don't have a financial advisor, but are searching for one, um, but also for people who are self-directed investors who have no intention to interact with an advisor. So it's for everyone. It's for everybody. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, At the end of this podcast, um, we really hope that um, people with financial advisors will understand where they can actually add value and how you can protect yourself as a consumer. And for those that don't, we want you to understand how you can get some of the benefits that advisors can provide, even when you are investing on your own. Yeah, no, and that's important. So I think, you know, at their best, a financial advisor can be a trusted partner that supports you along your investing journey. There's someone that can keep you focused on what you're trying to achieve. They can help you select investment products that, you know, are suitable to you and your personal circumstances and more importantly, your goals. And then they can provide you coaching along the way just to make sure that you aren't doing anything detrimental that is going to stop you from achieving your goals. Yeah, completely. But unfortunately, too often, and that model that you just described wasn't delivered. In too many cases, financial advisors were simply pushing products. Um, And that has been the focus of a number of different rounds of reform in Australia. And without going into too much detail, the regulators are focused on making sure that the products that advisors recommend, um, so products like ETFs, funds, etc., are picked because they're right for the investor um, and not because they're from the company that the financial advisor works for or because the financial advisor is getting paid a commission. 
Yeah, so we're not going to go through, as you mentioned, we're not going to go through all of the different reforms, and there's been round after round after round of them. Um, and there's no need for us to talk about some of the really poor behavior that we've heard about during all these reforms, especially during the uh, during the recent uh, royal commission. But what we can talk about is what the impact of that of those reforms have been on just the general financial advice landscape in Australia. So, you know, number one, it's caused it's caused a increase in the cost of delivering financial advice, and these costs, of course, have been passed on to actually consumers. And it's also led to a reduction of the number of financial advisors in the industry as they've raised some of those education requirements. So, and that number of financial advisors has dropped, and then it's projected to continue to drop. Yeah, and that's a problem. Um, if something isn't done about the decline of financial advisors, less Australians will have access to financial advice, and that makes for a pretty challenging environment. Um, we're living longer, and the burden burden of investing for um, I think I just said bourbon of bourbon of investing um, burden of investing for retirement continues to get shifted to individuals. So it's really important that we're taking control of our financial futures. Yeah, I'd like to think that that bourbon comment is a reflection <laughs> on me since I introduced you to bourbon. You won't drink it, but you've watched me drink a lot yeah. of bourbon. So, yeah, I would like to say I've had one positive influence in your life. But, you know, you and people don't know your full background here, but, you know, you've worked in financial advice practices. You've worked with advisors, even your first jobs here at Morningstar. So you're a good person to ask. So what do you actually need to do to become a financial advisor? What qualifications do they have? Yeah, the simple answer is that it depends. Um, so my exposure to practices really started at a pivotal time in the industry. So the Royal Commission had exposed a lot of questionable practices by financial advisors, such as focusing on putting clients into products with the highest commissions, um, charging clients who were no longer advised by them or dead, um, <laughs> over-insuring clients. The list goes on. I'm sure you're all um, pretty familiar with a lot of the cases that implicated um, the big players in the market. Although there were and still are financial advisors that operate in the client's best interest, and the industry wasn't set up to protect the needs of clients. And the foundation of this is really how individuals could attain the qualifications they needed to give advice. Um, so prior to the industry reforms, you didn't need anything except what the industry calls an RG146 certification, um, and that's also known as a Diploma of Financial Planning. So part of the industry reforms um, was new education standards. So depending on whether you're an existing or new advisor, the requirements are different, but typically it's a relevant university degree or a bridging course for a non-relevant degree. Either way, you need a degree. If you don't have one, a graduate diploma is required. I think it's, I think the RG146 thing, I think is interesting. I think it's crazy. It's known as a diploma of financial planning. Yeah. Like you and I have both passed that test. I remember when I passed it, I didn't study. Like I just sat there at my computer. It took me like an hour and what, I have a diploma of financial planning. But anyway. Maybe you're just really smart, mate. Or yeah, maybe we, it's because you have an MBA and a CFA, so you've pretty much done the study already. Okay. Well, either way, either way, <laughs> we both know I'm not smart. But so we both passed this exam, obviously. So what is it? Explain explain what this diploma of financial planning is. Yeah. So most of the courses are structured in the same way. Um, they have modules and you have to pass each of the modules to gain your certification. Um, so these modules are varied, but they can cover um, superannuation, managed investment or managed funds, securities, insurance, derivatives, margin lending. Um, I think a lot of people think financial advisors are just for people with a lot of money and need help managing it. So they only deal with investments. That's not the case. Some advisors specialize in that, but financial advisors are there to structure your finances comprehensively. So 
not just investments, um, insurances, taxation, estate planning, debt and refinancing, etc. So, yeah, getting back to the RG146 qualification, they pass these modules and then they're certified to give advice. But once you have an RG146, you have to maintain your qualification. Um, so as you well know, Mark, we do a certain amount of study each year to maintain it as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I will say that I took a shorter version of uh, of the test because I'm a CFA charter holder. So me sitting down for an hour is not everyone's experience. Some people have to sit down for four hours, right? <laughs> but uh, but anyway, let's talk about well, let's talk about you for a second. So, do you use a financial advisor? Um, I don't have a financial advisor, so I'm at the beginning of my career, Mark, um, as you know. But perhaps you know. <laughs> the end of your career, depending upon how this uh, next couple of weeks goes. Yeah, um, and my investing journey, um, I'm also at the beginning of my investing journey, so my finances aren't complicated and I feel I have the knowledge to make informed decisions. Um, I do use an accountant, tax isn't my specialty, so I do use a professional for that, um, but I feel like I don't need comprehensive advice at the moment. I think it'd be really hard um, for a professional to add value. Advice is valuable to a lot of people, um, but with the amount of investable assets I have, I'm pretty confident I can make decisions that are right for me. Um, I don't have any dependents as well, so insurance and estate planning is quite straightforward, uh, meaning I don't have anyone relying on me if something happens to me and I don't have a mortgage or debt, so I don't really need advice on refinancing or structuring. Um, so it's really hard for a professional to add value in this situation. I do also have a pretty long time horizon, so the time I have to reach my financial goals. Um, so I've gotten into good investing and saving habits, which mean that my financial goals are within reach without having to get into complex investment or tax structuring. Um, and I think this is a really important point. When you're young, the value of, of a financial advisor really depends on firstly, what your financial position is, but secondly, how confident and competent you feel about getting to your goals. And that's not me saying I'm a gun investor. Um, it's just saying it's my job to know this stuff. That's probably not the case for everybody. If you need professional help, go and seek it. Um, as much as I scroll through WebMD, when I have a cough, it won't replace my GP. If I get in trouble with the police, um, I'd probably go see a lawyer and wouldn't take on the court by myself. And in the same breath, your finances are a direct contributor to your quality of life. So if you need help, you should get it. Um, so yeah, no financial advisor for me, but I know they can really add value for a lot of people. And how about you, Mark? Yeah, no, I, I've never used one either. Um, and I think sort of similar back when I used to be young, um, probably had similar viewpoints to you, Shani, about, you know, just having a pretty simplified, uh, approach to everything. Um, but you know, I think that as I've always felt that I could do a better job. I mean, I guess at the end of the day and not trying to sound like I have an ego here, but it's been something that it's something that's always interested me. So I've spent time learning about investing. I like to spend time actually working on, uh, working on this stuff. So, and once again, as you said, it's my job as well right now. I'm so really going for it today, just saying the DFP was a complete breeze and that. You can get better results than anybody else. Okay. I, I don't know how to respond to that. You know I have no confidence and no self-esteem, large part because of you. But, um, but yeah, no. I mean, I think I guess I think I always, I always had the perspective that I thought, who's going to have my best interests um, in mind more than I do? Um, so maybe that was always the approach that I took. But if I'm destitute, living under that weird inner path, uh, under that intersection or by that intersection by your apartment, then we'll know everything has gone really, really wrong. I'll throw you some scraps after dinner. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
Um, okay. So whether you use a financial advisor or not, it's really important for everyone to understand what good financial advice looks like. Um, that way you can understand what you're giving up by not using an advisor and how, how you can make sure you get the same benefits. So if you use a financial advisor, um, you'll be a more informed consumer and you'll be able to validate the advice you're getting. Um, and we have very strong views about that here at Morningstar. We believe there are two components to good financial advice. Um, so taking a goals-based total wealth approach to financial planning and focusing on behavioral coaching. So the best way to demonstrate both of those is to use real life examples and um, we can walk through what you should look for from a financial advisor during different stages of your interactions with them um, and how you can do the same thing as an individual investor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why don't we go, uh, why don't we go through each one of these steps that we sort of believe in here at Morningstar? And yeah, the first, uh, the first step will start at the beginning. And so whether, you're going to see a financial advisor or if you're a self-directed investor trying to put together a plan for the first time, you need to start with goals. And that seems obvious, right? But a lot of people like to skip that over. And, you know, we have this, uh, we have this saying that I keep saying, um, that at Morningstar, we're about the investor, not the investment. And really the theory behind that or the meaning behind that is, this should be about you. You're investing to reach your goals. So it's really, really important to start there. Many people want to jump into the end step, right? What is the actual investment? What is the stock or fund or ETF? Which one do I buy? Um, so I think that that's just really, really important that if you're sitting down with a financial advisor or if you're doing this on your own, you are starting with your goals and that can be the basis for your plan. Yeah. And um, going back to your point about the investor and the investment, the reason why the, there's an obvious focus on the investor instead of the investment product doesn't happen um, in the financial advice industries because the whole financial services industry has been traditionally set up to just create investment products and sell them to people. Um, so most advisors were aligned to product manufacturers. They were essentially just a distribution mechanism for investment products. And so um, they were aligned to the banks and fund managers who created the products. And um, when I got into the industry, which was quite late in the piece, 85% of advisors in the industry were aligned to the big four banks or AMP and 15% were independent. So there has been a shift in the industry where advisors are going out on their own and the industry reforms were a catalyst for this as well. Yeah. So how can you tell if a financial advisor cares more about the investor and not the investment. Well, it's actually pretty simple. What do they talk to you about during your first meeting and all these subsequent meetings? Is it about you or is it about an investment product? Um, so are they talking about the performance of the different investments they have? Or are they talking about how you're progressing towards achieving your goals? Yeah. Um, so as an individual investor, you should probably be doing the same thing. Um, so are you focused on performance and how the fund you've invested in compares to its peers? Or are you checking to see how you're tracking against your goal? Um, and if there are any changes to these goals? This is taking a goals-based approach to investing, and you don't need a financial advisor to do this. There are countless resources out there to help you do that, and we've built many of those tools into Morningstar Premium. Um, so tools like goal setting, calculating the return you need to achieve your return, um, asset allocation guidance, and the resources to help educate yourself as well. All right. So we've done the first part, goals-based total wealth approach. Done goals-based. So what about that, uh, what about that second 
uh, second step. What does a total wealth approach entail, Shani? Yeah. So total wealth means that any discussion about investing is more than just your portfolio. Um, you have to take a holistic view of your entire life to provide appropriate context to any discussion about investing. So this includes your career, your family situation and where you, um, and where you live and what kind of lifestyle you have as well. All right. So yeah, let's take, let's take a couple of looks at the t- couple. Uh, let's look at a couple of pieces of this. I can't speak today. Um, so let's start with career. So it's very important that you as a self-directed investor or working with an advisor, take a look at your career. So what are the different things that could influence your employment and your earning power? Is your salary actually variable? So we keep hearing about this gig economy, right? That means there is some variability in your salary. The way that's always painted is you get to work when you want to work. That's a nice way of looking at it, but you also get to work when other people are actually willing to pay you. Um, so if there's variability in there, that could influence the way that you're investing. Um, and, you know, a simple example that, uh, that I use in a recent webinar is, you know, people are naturally drawn into obviously investing in things that are similar to their career because that is either their interest or something they're knowledgeable about. But if you're doing, if you're putting all of your investments and your career into the same basket, that can be a problem, right? And we talked about real estate before. Real estate's a really good example of this, where a lot of real estate agents have a variable salary because they are working off of commissions, and then they want to invest in real estate. So what happens if stuff goes really poorly in the real estate industry? They're not making any money. Their investments are going down. So that's not great family situation. You talked about dependents before. So you can have dependents that are younger than you, but you can also have dependents that are older than you or potential dependents that are older than you. Um, so we've talked uh, um, or we've heard a lot about you know how people are getting squeezed on both ends where they have children um, that they're still having to pay for even as they have graduated high school and uni and they have aging parents that they're needing to support. So it's important to look at that. Um, and yeah, all different things that should go into your um, investing plan. All these questions are crucial. So you need to take them into account if you're going it alone. Um, and you need to make sure that your financial advisor is asking them and incorporating them into your financial plan. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think as we sort of walk down the different steps of investing, a lot of these inputs go into asset allocation decisions. So, when you're young, as you like to continually point out how much younger than I you are, um, you know, you have a huge amount of lifetime earning potential, but, you know, potentially little financial capital. And, you know, this is particularly true if you have a good education, if you're going into a field that is potentially lucrative, um, People start focusing on, oh, when I'm older and I make more money, that's when I'll start saving. But it's really the opposite, right? You need to start when you're young because as you progress in your career, you're really exchanging that future earnings potential for hopefully financial capital. And that only happens if you save and invest. Um, so, yeah, really, uh, really important to take all that into account. Yeah. And this brings us to a really important step of working with a financial advisor or thinking about investing on your own. And that's the um, concept of risk. So many financial advisors use a risk questionnaire to assess the risk tolerance of their clients. Um, based on that risk tolerance, they recommend the asset allocation of a client portfolio or the mix of different asset classes, particularly growth and defensive assets. And we think that's um, absolutely the wrong way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh 
you know, basically what a risk tolerance questionnaire is, is it asks you how you would react to different market scenarios. So, and these generally are large drops in the market. And it's been proven over and over again that humans can't actually act accurately assess how they would react in a high stress situation. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, Asking someone how they would react to a terrorist barging, barging into a restaurant with a gun. You know, we all hope that we would be some sort of superhero and, you know, create some sort of crude weapon out of a paper mill and a champagne flute and we disarm the terrorist. But in reality, we're probably just going to hide under the table, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how you pointed to me when you said champagne flute. <laughs> well, you are very into champagne. Yeah. So if you're going to randomly say bourbon, I'm going to point to you. That's what people miss on the podcast, that I gesture a lot. Yeah. Because um, I think I still think I'm on a webinar, but... You're like one of those, like, conductors. Okay. the opera <laughs> during uh, the whole thing. Okay, day. well, it's better than you describe me as the Phantom of the Opera. So I'll say <laughs> conductor of the opera. Um, I think it's conductor of an orchestra. Oh, but, uh, but yeah, knock yourself out. Um, Too many TikTok not- videos and not enough trips Hulk, to... Uh, yeah. Yeah, the opera house. house. (laughs) Um, Opera house besides just going to, you know, opera house bar. Okay, so let's move on. Um, Not only can we not assess how we would react to a stressful situation, um, a risk tolerance questionnaire is not focusing on the whole point of investing, and that's actually achieving your goal. So if a risk assessment says that you are very conservative and the advisor puts you into a mix of term deposits that matches your fear of losing money, um, that's not really good financial planning if you need a 6% return to meet your goal. Focusing on your goal is what matters, and that's how risk should be framed. Um, would you still make the same choices if the advisor told you that despite labeling yourself as risk-averse and conservative, you had a 0% chance of achieving your goal? Yeah, and that actually, it makes me think of a point that you brought up in your Guide to Investing for Women. And I know we're going to cover this in a future podcast, but we can talk about it for a second here. Um, how does this disproportionately impact women? Yeah, there have been so many studies on this, and I covered a good number of them in my guide. Um, the bottom line is that women are treated differently by um, than men by financial advisors. Um, the studies I was referencing involves women and men going to um, financial advisors with the exact same portfolio and saying the exact same thing. Um, the female investors were asked about their personal and financial situations less often than men, and women were also advised to have more liquidity, less international exposure, and fewer actively managed funds. Basically, they were told to invest more conservative, which is pretty ridiculous, especially considering that women live longer and tend to have larger career breaks, which can disrupt retirement savings. Um, but as he said, we'll cover this on another podcast. Yeah, and that was that was a great guide. One of one of my favorite guides. My second favorite guide that you wrote. Thanks, Mark. What was the first? Um, the last one that you wrote on walking through how you actually select different investments. But anyway, my second favorite guide. That's pretty good. So yeah, that was my second favorite guide. And I think you know one of the. Uh, one of the main takeaways that I got from some of the research you did in that and what you wrote was that women are a lot better investors than men. They just do it less often. And one of the reasons, obviously, is for what we just talked about. But let's talk about what your advisor should be doing when thinking about risk. And as we said, in our opinion, the way that we should frame risk is to think about how it relates to 
the risk of actually not achieving your goal. Yeah, completely. So um, that means we're focused on the amount of risk you should take given your available resources and the goals you want to accomplish. That is far more, com- that's a far more complete picture of risk than just focusing on the amount of risk you want to take. Um, the amount of required risk in terms of volatility and your goals are fundamentally linked. There's a trade-off between risk and return. So you need to focus on the return you need to achieve your goal. Yeah. And, you know, that's why you mentioned earlier that obviously we, we've got some tools that are part of Morningstar Premium. And that's really why the output of the goal setting exercise we have there is this required rate of return. And that's, of course, based on all the inputs you put in there, how much money you need to achieve your goal, how long you have until you want to achieve your goal and how much you can save. And we'll talk about this more and we'll revisit it a little bit later in this podcast when we talk about behavioral coaching techniques. Okay, moving on from risk, let's talk a little bit about constructing a portfolio. I think it's important to point out that this is the last step of the process and not the first. It should be this way in any interaction with an advisor. If they immediately start talking about which fund, ETF, or share to buy, um, then you're working with someone who is primarily interested in financial products and not in you. Yeah, and we'll talk about constructing a portfolio because that's like a whole topic, right? We can do a whole podcast on that. But, you know, I think the point that you made, Shani, is really the most important one to consider here that if your financial advisor doesn't take the time to get to know what is unique about you, your goals, your career, people you may need to care for, that's a huge warning sign. And when we talk about building your portfolio, all of these factors need to be taken into account. So you should be really wary if the discussion about risk is a check the box exercise. And that's needed, right, just to satisfy the regulators. What we really want is sort of an exploration of the risk that you need to take on in order to achieve your goals, because that is what investing is. Yeah, and that brings us to behavioral coaching. And this is an underestimated benefit of an advisor, but also something that you can do on your own using a couple of um, simple techniques. So when we use the term behavioral coaching, we simply mean what are the things that an advisor can do and you can do to stop yourself from making decisions that will hurt your outcomes? Yeah. And, you know, we know what those poor decisions are. So, you know, the poor decisions are selling after the market drops, deciding to invest your whole emergency fund in a single tech stock with no earnings at the top of the market. And, you know, the three things, if, if we had to summarize them, right, the three things investors often do wrong is that we chase returns by putting our money into a hot stock or a sector. We exit at the bottom of the market, which is a huge issue, right? Because we've, you and I have both seen the survey, but Morningstar went out and did some research. And if you missed the top 10 days for stock market returns between 1992 and 2012, you would have a 45% lower return than an investor that just stayed invested the whole time. And then, and that's, in my mind, that's fairly shocking. Um, maybe I'm just shocked easily. And then, of course, there's the issue that we talked about before. It's picking an inappropriate asset allocation based on your goals. Yeah, and contributing to all of these mistakes is um, the psychological challenge we all face as investors. Uh, so there's an unconscious, there are unconscious factors at play with investing that impacts all of us. So let's start with overconfidence bias. That is simply being overly optimistic about your likelihood of its success. And this causes investors to have too much concentration in particular sectors or individual stocks and causes investors to think that they can time the market. 
Yeah, and this is where there's a couple of different techniques that you can uh, you can do to overcome this. One is one of my techniques has been spending time with you because you've destroyed my confidence. So that's worked out really well for me. But if you don't have direct access to Shani, um, it's really to spend some time checking what your assumptions are. So take a step back and write down why you're making the decisions that you're making. Um, so, you know, write down, hey, why am I putting 90% of my portfolio into Afterpay at 100 bucks? And then spend some time writing down and thinking about why you could be wrong. And just going through that exercise, you may still make the investment, but going through that exercise of, you know, taking the other side of the argument is really, really beneficial. Yeah. So um, next up is confirmation bias, which involves seeking out and paying more attention to information that supports your viewpoint. And once again, the same technique can be used. Focus on why you might be wrong. Actively seek out information and a viewpoint that's different and disagrees with you. That's an important lesson for life in general, but it can be really effective with investing. Yeah. And we've seen, like, obviously, you know, we are recording this on, what, day two of U.S. election drama. Um, We've seen this a lot in politics, right, where, you know, now we have different newspapers and different television channels, particularly in the U.S., where people just simply seek out the same opinion, yeah, just challenge yourselves. Go look out. Go find that alternate opinion. Um, but anyway, moving on, because nobody wants to hear about politics, although you spent all of last night watching the U.S. election. I don't know how. <laughs> but um, but yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about recency. Uh, so recency bias. So basically, this just assumes whatever has happened in the recent past will just continue to happen. And, you know, this is really a huge issue for investors. And we have this annual Mind the Gap survey, which basically looks at actual returns that investors get versus the total returns of the product they're investing in. And that gap between the two really represents investors chasing hot returns. Um, so, you know, I think there are a couple simple rules that we should all remember with investing. Like when prices go up, your opportunity to profit in the future actually goes down because valuations matter. Um, and, you know, if we look at it the other way, so as prices rise, the danger of losing money actually increases. So should we, we should all remember that as investors. Yeah. And there are a number of other ones that we can go through, but all of these unconscious influences on investor behavior can be solved in one way. And that's by having a plan and sticking to it. Um, and in order to have a plan, you really need to write it down. And that's um, where the right financial advisor can be really valuable. They are really great at putting together some structure around your investing and coming up with a plan. Yeah. So, so that's right, Shani. And I think, you know, as we've said throughout this, you just need to focus on an advisor actually getting to know you enough to make sure that that plan is actually designed for you and that's actually right for you. Um, but individual investors, you can all, we can all do the same thing, right? We've outlined the steps that are needed to put together a goals-based investing plan in our portfolio construction guide. And as we've mentioned a couple of times, we've introduced a number of different tools in Morningstar Premium to assist with this process. Everything from setting goals to calculating the required rate of return to tracking progress against those goals. But once again, we've said this nine times, a really important thing is just write things down. And so that means that anytime you have personal stress or market stress, you can go back and read your plan. And hopefully doing that will avoid making some of these poor decisions that we just talked about. Yeah. And the other thing you can do is look at the required rate of return and recalculate it during times of market stress. And that can also act as a catalyst to make good decisions. So when the market falls, 
Many investors start panicking and um, join the herd by selling. But in that scenario, when your portfolio drops, your required rate of return to achieve your goal will actually go up. So by recalculating it, you'll see that um, what you need to do is take on more risk by increasing your allocation to equities. Not only will this prevent you from selling, it'll also encourage you to buy when valuation levels are lower. And that can lead to higher long-term returns. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. All right, I think it's time to wrap this up because you've been talking about bourbon and now I'm thinking about <laughs> bourbon. But let's go through sort of the three main takeaways that hopefully everyone got from this. So number one, financial advice does have benefits for investors, but being engaged and knowledgeable individual investors, we can get the same thing on our own. Second one, at Morningstar, we do have a, we do believe that in order to get all these benefits that we talked about from financial advice, it needs to be delivered using a goals-based total return approach. So that means the first step is getting to know you, your goals, details about your career, your family. And it's only when we have this context, we can start talking about putting together a portfolio. And then that third important point that I think we made was risk. How your advisor or how you as a self-directed investor think about risk is really, really important. We think the biggest risk faced by investors is not reaching your goal. So put that context around all the decisions that you're making and any discussions around risk, whether you use an advisor or not. Okay, and um, let's end with a couple of resources. So Mark's written a guide titled The Morningstar Guide to Better Investing Outcomes that covers the financial advice industry in Australia and what to look for. And um, he's also written The Morningstar Portfolio Construction Guide, um, which is a, another great resource that may help you with building a portfolio. Okay, thanks for listening to our episode on financial advice. Um, we'd really appreciate any feedback or comments that can be sent to our email in our episode notes. Thanks for listening. You know, when I talk about your guides, I say things like, this one was my favorite. I really like this part about it. You just sort of say, there are these guides. I am off to have a bourbon. Shani is off to watch the continuing drama in the U.S. presidential election. We will probably need a bourbon after. <laughs> exactly. It can be your first bourbon. It will be exciting. But, uh, but yeah, thank you guys very much for joining any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.